You're listening to Tuned with Alastair Atkin from the Atkin Guitars Workshop. I'm Alastair Atkin, and in this podcast, I'm going to chat to a few of the music industry people I've been lucky enough to meet over the last 25 years of being a guitar maker. Amongst them are musicians, songwriters, composers, and fellow guitar makers. Some of them you'll have heard of, and some of them you might not. But this week we're going to be talking to Patrick James Eggle of Eggle Guitars. Uh, Patrick's been a leading maker in this country for many, many years. And he's worked as a, an electric guitar maker. He went on to make acoustics. Now he's back making a really superb range of custom electric guitars out of his workshop in Shropshire. I hope you enjoy. So I'm really pleased to introduce my mate Patrick Eggle from uh, Patrick James Eggle Guitars over in, is it Osmondry, Osmondworth, what's it, what's, what's the place called? Oswestry, hello Alistair, it's lovely to be here. Oswestry, okay, and um, we've probably known each other for, I, I'm trying to think the first time I, I met you, and I think it was at Wembley Conference Centre. Very likely, yes. Could have been like 15 years ago or more, uh, at a sort of, um, I think it was an acoustic hall we were both in. And you'd just maybe you'd just come back from America, and you'd just started um, building your your range over here. Does that ring any bells? Quite possibly, that might have been seventeen or seventeen or eighteen years ago. Right, Blimey. That's, that's insane, isn't it? Insane. Yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of remember thinking to myself, uh, you, you you know, when you sort of look at the list of people who are going to these shows. And I was looking down the list and I saw um, there was uh, Roger from Fylde and, uh, and Collings were there. And then I saw Patrick Eggle. I thought, oh, my God, Pat, I've always wanted to meet Patrick Eggle. So I was a little bit of a fanboy, I reckon. And uh, I, was, I was sort of excited to, to sort of meet somebody who had been doing this for, you know, quite a while at that point. But how many years have you been doing this now, Patrick? um 40 really well the first it it sort of depends where you count the starting point so <clears throat> first guitar i built when i was 15 school project usual kind of story so i'm 56 now so kind of 40 41 years okay you're a lot older than me i am not a lot lot older <laughs> than you <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> so uh, what, what really interests me about your sort of um, career is that you went to the London School of Furniture, as I was told when I was there. Is that true? Yes. You went there as well? Yeah, yeah. And so you okay. were another, another name that came up when, when you went to the college. It was like Patrick Eggle went here, and it was like, ooh, that's good. Um, and But... Uh, you you went to college and and how much did you actually learn at the college did you do you feel how how good was that course for you did they tell you that, that i only did two years out of four and that i've blunked out <laughs> we didn't get that no no that wasn't on the uh that wasn't on the prospectus <laughs> my my tutor at the college was herbert schwartz yeah and um he was lovely and um you know, for years, I kind of had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about the college in that um, I thought, oh, moan, moan. They, they, they like spent far too much time trying to teach us um, stuff we didn't need to learn. And 
they when they did teach us um you know guitar building it was all cabinet scrapers and chisels which even then wasn't completely relevant to the way the industry was outside that room and they didn't give you any lessons in uh, running a business no no <laughs> which i thought was a was a big failing i don't know what they're up to now i'm sure they've got all that nailed but um but then since then i have to say there are times when i look back and i kind of do draw on things that i learned at the college and if nothing else you know herbert was a great guy and i enjoyed it and it was a stepping stone from the position of just having built guitars in your shed that weren't very good to having built a guitar that you're proud of yeah and if nothing else i think that psychologically that's a good thing because you've kind of proven to yourself that you can do it and the first guitar that i built at that college i sold mm -hmm. you know i think i got 380 quid for it or something so it's important to kind of take that step you know yeah yeah absolutely um and then move on i think um i think my experience was very similar and uh I think what I, I kind of got from it was where else were you going to get that experience in the UK? There's no sort of um, load, you know, it's not like I'll go and work at the equivalent of Martin and learn my trade there. Or, you know, we've got very, back, it was certainly back when I started and certainly when you, when you started, there was very few places we could actually go that would, would teach us anything yeah. or would even want to impart any information to you. Did you think about doing that? Did you consider um, at the time, Alistair, like, you know, going to the States or or something like that and trying to get some practical experience in a real world kind of guitar building environment? I, I think I dreamt of it. My brother was living in the States when I started at the college. And, I, you know, I used to buy all of the, the magazines and all, all, see all those articles. And this is also before the internet, you know. So there was just nuggets of information you could glean from a magazine that you know it was all hearsay and I don't think I had the balls to even um, entertain the idea really it would have been a pipe dream that could never be fulfilled I was too scared <laughs> I likewise I did it didn't even occur to me that it was possible because um, and this is no real excuse, but you know, in those days there wasn't internet or anything, and you didn't you didn't necessarily realise that it was an achievable thing that you could sort of call somebody up and then jump on a plane and do things. And looking back, I've often thought that if I did have my time again, that that might have been a better thing to do with my two years would have been to call somebody like. Um, I don't know, Santa Cruz or whoever. Yeah, yeah. And say, um, hey, can I come over and work with you? And uh, and you don't need to really, really, you know, pay me and um, all this sort of thing. And it might not have happened or even worked. But I think looking back, that really could have been a good a good route, you know. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely something I've looked back on and, and very much with sort of Richard Hoover in mind. You know, I think ha having... I had a mate who was who was actually 
living just outside Santa Cruz at the time and he kept on saying you should come over here it's fantastic and for some reason I just locked myself in the workshop I <laughs> can't do it I've got to stay here but I mean it is what we've did and um here we are. It's worked out, you know, in, in many ways. But yeah, I know what you mean. You, you could have gleaned so much, either so much more information quicker or um, just there's nothing like seeing something in front of you to actually understand how to do something and it, the penny drops much quicker. But something I, I was always wanted to ask you, because I don't think there's many people that I can think of who actually had an electric guitar company at that time selling guitars all over the world and had a factory. And so can you talk us through how you went from leaving that college to, to running a factory? Was it in, in Coventry, I believe, wasn't it? Yes. Well, first of all, it wasn't my factory. Okay. It was, um, it was a business I had a a small sharing yeah but it was obviously named after me so i was the figurehead and what happened was i um i started off with a very small business like many luthiers guitar builders have right now working out of a it was actually out of a um barn on a local farm with a manure wagon parked outside and bats on the wall and yeah. horses being worn out the back. And it, it was, you know, it was all very quaint and everything, but it wasn't ideal. And I was building electric guitars in there. I got like, you know, 12 dealers or so in the UK. And it was really, really hard work. What year is this? Yeah, late 80s. Late 80s. Okay, yeah, carry on. And because uh, I did other jobs between leaving college I, I basically left college, tried to make it as a classical guitar builder when I was 18. No one was interested. Mm. Complete failure. Got disheartened, went off and drove a tractor and did various things. And then one day I thought, no, I'm going to give it another go. So here we are back at the barn. And I sort of thought that ultimately I'd been there about a year and I think that I decided that it wasn't working. And I didn't really want to carry on. And I got an, an invite to the Manchester Guitar Show. It was it was one of those uh, guitarist shows that they used to have, yeah. which were great. And the hamsters came along and everybody turned up and got drunk. And, and it was a real, real, real sort of buzzy thing. So I thought, last roll of dice, I'll do the uh, Manchester Guitarist Show, which was up at Umist. Um, I drove up in the battered old car with <laughs> all my gear in the back and the boot held down with a with a with a rope yeah and all the way up the m6 the exhaust fumes were going back into the car (laughs) (laughs) driving up the m6 luckily i didn't pass out and i got there and i just just you know rocked up at this uh, show and that's where i met andrew selby who turned into my business partner okay who was kind of younger than i am now by about 10 years but he was looking for a business to start. He was looking for a way into the music industry. Yeah. And he was out there selling those spins, straps, you know, that like the ZZ Top Legs video. Yeah, yeah. Furry guitar. Right, he was selling those straps. He bought one of the guitars I had with me and then he invited me to join this business that he was forming and be the figurehead and build these guitars. 
it sort of catapulted very quickly from being in the barn in Hertfordshire yeah. to being in a 13,500 foot factory in Coventry, which he just basically bought this place and said, move in and start building guitars. <laughs> Fantastic. I had no idea at all how to build guitars in a proper production sense. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, trying to essentially build nice quality electric guitars while electricians were walking along the benches and, you know, painters were there painting the walls and it was horrible. And it was, to be honest, um, we were under pressure from the day we moved in because there was a lot of money thrown into it and the, and the pressure was always huge to get more guitars out. Yeah. It was a bad environment, really. And I think what we did there was incredible looking back. Um, it was a difficult time, but we got through it. And looking back, it was sort of, um, what was it? Was it a necessary? It wasn't really necessary. It was what it was. Yeah. But it was a fairly short period in my life. We built a lot of guitars, a lot. How, how many people were working there then? I think the most people that were ever working there was close to 40. 40? <laughs> I've got a... <laughs> I've got a picture on my wall in the other room. Right. Taken outside the, the uh, factory with everybody standing out there. And I think there's 28 people in that picture. Wow. That's incredible. 40 people. And, um, you, you know, we both now run smaller companies than that. And, uh, I, ha- I mean, I've got, there's six of us here. But organising and teaching that amount of people to... to to make a product that's a massive undertaking and to sort of of course they weren't all on production but it was massive but what we did have was being in coventry there were a lot of uh people there that used to work at the jag yeah and so a lot of those guys were used to doing the woodwork Mm -hmm. in jaguars the sort of way of building them then was completely different as well i mean i went from working in the barn to trying to set up a factory, but I didn't know about all the machinery that I needed. Yeah. So what essentially happened was I just worked like crazy and I was handcuffed because because these were all, you know, carved top guitars. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was I was hand carving all those tops. <laughs> I carved the first something like five hundred guitars My. before we got a duplicate carver. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I carved the first kind of thousand necks before we got a neck carving machine. It's insane, isn't it? When you think of of what we sort of the, how lucky we are now to just be able to engage with these brilliant CNC machines and whatever people use. Oh, totally. And you, you almost wouldn't entertain the idea of doing it again without those machines. It'd be like, oh, I'll just stay at home. Why would you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but it's so good for you to know what it takes to get there by hand well the thing is it is good and it's quite a nice experience obviously it's like it's a nice creative experience to make something completely by hand and um there isn't anything wrong with doing it in that way and there are people that do like andy manson who's a complete hero of mine you know and and mine we we all hail to andy such an amazing craftsman yeah um, but we can't all do that and make enough money to keep the lights on. You know, my feelings on it are that there are many, many jobs with acoustic and electric guitars that 
are purely about getting the geometry right, you know? Yeah. You just want it to be geometrically perfect and work as a piece of engineering in wood, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you can do that on a machine more accurately and faster, then it leaves your budget of hours that you have to spend on any guitar that you're selling for a certain price, you know? Yeah. It, like, like it leaves your available hours that you can spend on that guitar to be spent being more creative, doing the stuff that really needs that personal touch yeah. rather than slavishly kind of yeah. <laughs> carving the top. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. We, we can all do that, and I can do that, and I proved that, but what we do is we have the CNC carved the top exactly like I want it carved. And then we can spend our time doing the more creative bits. Absolutely. Do you find that? Yeah, t totally. I mean, I think it's probably a decision that you come to as you evolve as a, a guitar maker. You see different things and, and certain things appeal to you and certain things don't. I've, I remember um, very early on thinking, if I could just get rid of all the wood on this neck to half a millimetre and I could do the final important bit, that would be brilliant. And and I think that's exactly what everyone is really striving for with using the, all, all the technology. Um, but there's a certain beautifulness to something that is made entirely by hand. And, and like you say, Andy Manson really does, you know, when you see his creations in front of you, they're, they're works of art, aren't they? Mm -hmm. It's great to have all of those, you know, every, every aspect of that. So the um, you're at the factory, and at, what at some point, what what happened to make you leave that? Well, I can't remember what finally happened to make me leave, but I'll tell you what, it was a, the the, the a classic case of the last straw. Right. So in the end, it was something quite small, mm -hmm. but the business never made any money. We were very good at spending money on building guitars, and Andrew, bless him, he um. He poured an awful lot into it. And then some more investors poured even more into it. And without going too deep into the into the whys and wherefores and what actually happened with the management and everything, yeah. it just got very stressful. And in the end, I just said, you know, this isn't this isn't where I want to be. Any this this isn't why I why I quit my job and started building guitars again. Yeah. For this. I was very very stressed my nails were bitten to the quick um so i basically walked out got in the car drove back down south went down the travel agents <laughs> and, and flew to cyprus the next day <laughs> wow yeah three weeks yeah and uh after i've been laying on the beach for about a week i looked down and my nails were growing <laughs> and then i i just basically called uh an old friend of mine you know, had a guitar shop in St. Albans. And uh, I started repairing guitars in his cellar. Okay. Which was really good for me because I felt like, with the factory and everything, I felt like I'd made this leap, which was premature, from trying to build guitars by hand to suddenly building them in a, in a factory without having that bit in the middle where I learned a lot of stuff that I needed to know, and I hadn't ever learned that. So it was good for me to go back and spend those two or three years, or however long it was, kind of building guitars by hand again and really kind of honing my craft a bit more. It was um, a really good time. 
Yeah, I really liked. Uh, it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's there's nothing better than putting in the hours. When when you do get into a, a production situation, you're dealing with more and more people. Having the answers, you don't always have <laughs> have those answers to 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 these questions that you, that, that come up. But um, I know, and I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure when you're walking through your workshop, Alistair, on any given day. Sometimes it's very hard to get from one end of the workshop to the other end without somebody shouting, Alistair, what about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Yeah. You know, and you don't always have uh, the answers. Yeah, I think um, we're really lucky now because I think most of the people who work for me know that I'm, you know, I, I'm a very, I wear my heart on my sleeve and, and a, lot of, a lot of the time I don't know exactly what to do about every situation, but you kind of find a way through together. And I think that that's what keeps our company sort of fun as well. You know, it, it doesn't have to be life or death situations. No one's going to get a bollocking. It's just like, come on, we did this. to This was meant to be fun. We can keep it fun, even if we don't know exactly what we're doing all the time. Yeah. And your team are so important. And um, I get so, so nervous. Like I've been interviewing today. Yeah. And I get more nervous about it than they do, I'm sure because it feels like such a big step to me letting uh, someone else in you know mm. so oh my god what am i doing you know what if i get this wrong yeah you know it's a lot riding on it isn't there yeah there is and given that the motor skills and everything are there one of the most important things is that they fit in with us all because if they do then most other things can be solved uh, yeah it's a bit like joining a band really isn't it you you kind of uh, the it's not always the best guitarist who gets the job it, it, it's it's who sort of fits in and kind of like I can hang out with that bloke all day long and not get pissed off, and uh, and have a we can all have a some banter in the workshop. It's important. Yeah. So after after that, you just come back from the states. So tell me about that. You know, going to the states. That's uh, that's a massive <laughs> massive commitment. And you were were you married and had children at the time? Yes. <laughs> Uh, so that conversation goes like this, um, darling. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so after my short period of um, working in the basement of a shop, then I bought a house in the village, fairly close by, and set up a proper workshop there, which was for me was the time I first started building what I would um, hopefully describe as properly good guitars. And I started building acoustic guitars and archtop guitars, just be, not because I play archtop guitar or anything, just because I, I regarded it as a bit of a challenge. Yeah. I set up my own spray booth and started spraying for the first time. And up to that point, every guitar that I'd built, I'd sent to somebody else to spray. Mm -hmm. And it was always a bit of a nervy, uncomfortable thing t to do. Yeah. And I know it cuts out loads of hassle and everything. It, it yeah, it does. It's it's one of those things that you never feel really. It it, it plays on your mind all the time because it it's a movable feast, and something's not quite right, and you know ultimately you're not being the best guitar maker you can be. You've got to be in control of everything. That's the point. If yeah. you're not in control, then it's not it's not working, and. I'd build guitars that were absolutely perfect and perfectly prepped and everything, and I'd send them away, and they'd come back ruined. 
you know. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I know not every finisher is like that, and some finishers are great and everything. But for me, I needed my own spray shop, so I got so I built my own spray shop and started finishing in nitro for the first time, and it was great. I thought, well, this is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, because the finish is so 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 important. And being in control of that is such a crucial part of the creative process. Um, and I've always finished my own instruments ever since then. And it's caused me a lot of grief as well. But <laughs> I don't, I don't, as you know, I'm sure. We've spent a lot of our time talking about this over the last few months, haven't we? And, and, and uh, yes, we have. I think it's the fact that we care so much. You spend your waking and sleeping hours thinking about it and and it can drive you insane but um it is such a big part of what we do and and especially now more than ever i think people are really getting much more in touch with very thin nitro finishes that you know they when when we see a good one it changes the guitar in front of you completely so mm-hmm. so you're doing that and then america so this was this was the thinking that I'd been to America a couple of times anyway and really loved the whole, you know, going out west, hiring a car experience yeah. thing. But I was building these art shop guitars, which I was selling almost exclusively in America. I was buying my cases from America. Yeah. I was all the wood was coming from America. Even the lacquer was coming from America. Yeah. And it was like, you know what? I might as well be in America. This is stupid. That's what we did without a huge amount of planning. We just sold sold one house and um, moved out there. And I've been uh, there. Yeah. Long yeah. story short, it was really good. But we moved to Western North Carolina, insanely hot, and we both decided we just couldn't take the heat. So we moved up into the mountains just outside Asheville, which is stunningly beautiful, but a very kind of different culture. Yeah without getting into it particularly. I think I know what you're talking So the one that I'm in. Yes. I think you know what I mean, which was okay. And, and we made some great friends out there, um, which I still have and I'm still in touch with. We had a lot of problems with the whole visa situation mm-hmm. that was becoming very expensive to maintain. And so during the second year, we had to make a decision whether we were going to go for an extension on the visa and still not have a green card and not be able to get a credit card or yeah, do any yeah. of that and carry on renting into the future as far as I could see. Health insurance. You know, health that. insurance was killing me. You know, yeah. young family. Yeah, nightmare. We had one one child that was a baby when we moved out there and our second son was born out there. And it was just, I couldn't see any end to the stress. But it was a bigger decision coming back than it was moving out there. Okay. Because moving out there, you can always come back. But, you know, coming back, it's more difficult to move out there again if you change your mind again. Yeah. And we came back and went straight down the dentist and the doctors. and. and well, hey! Uh, <laughs> I'll have all these done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I'm pleased that I did because I love America and... Um, but I think I love it as a place to visit. Yeah. I love England as a place to live, you know, and this country is fantastic and it's full of fantastic people. I'll tell you what the other thing is. Everybody complains about the weather over here. 
live in North Carolina for a couple of years and you won't anymore because it's either really hot or really cold. And it's in Britain, it's just temperate all the time. I know it rains a lot and it's very often grey and everything, but it's never it's never extreme in any direction, really. It's no. it's a it's really great guitar making country, really, isn't it? it? Is. It's yeah. not it's not too much this or too much that. I used to have to have dehumidifiers running in the summer and humidifiers running in the winter. Oh. And we were just up in the sort of Blue Ridge Mountains and and if I could see we were in this this big sort of valley called called um Apple Valley. And if I could see the mountains in the distance, right? Then I knew I could spray, right? Because the lacquer wouldn't wouldn't bloom. Yeah. And if I couldn't, there was too much humidity in in uh, the air, and I couldn't spray. Yeah. And that was a good deal of the time. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. A lot of the North American makers pack up at certain times of the year, don't they? And and you know the Canadians don't spray at certain times of the year. They almost give up guitar making for three months. Some of them and. Yeah. Uh, Good time to take holiday, I guess. But uh, yeah, so you got you got back to the UK, and then I, that's when I, I would have met you, and and you'd started sort of really pushing your acoustic guitars, um, your your brand, which, uh, to my mind at the time, I, when I picked them up, they just seemed like on a different level to most British guitar makers in as much as they look like something that probably had been made in America, you know, and, and felt very much like that sort of quality. And uh, do you think that that was gleaned from living in America or had you always had that sort of uh, idea about them? Well, I think I've always wanted my guitars to obviously be really of a high quality, but without doubt, there are some incredible guitar builders in America. It is definitely the home of that craft, you know? Yeah. It's where it all boils up from. Uh, and if you're in America and you want to make make guitars for a living and sell them in American shops, you better be good. It's big boy territory, isn't it? And, uh, yeah. And there's a lot of them. Um, I mean, I, I think we, we get our sort of fill of that sometimes at these guitar shows and you, you might go to Nam or you might you know do some of our shows or the one over in um Manon. yeah yes. and and you know you get some of the big boys turn up at these things and and uh, I think what's encouraging for for certainly me now is that that we're beginning to compete on that sort of level and and we know that we can sometimes pick some of these guys at the post some you know and a lot of the 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 customers are starting to notice that the british makers can actually make a bloody good guitar you know and uh, yes we've come a long way in the last 20 years or so you know there's a lot more people doing it in this country as well and uh, i i sometimes wonder how many more we can we can have really it's uh, it never i know it seems like there's more people building guitars than there are buying them at the moment <laughs> it does really doesn't it and um i think uh, and some of them, uh, so many of them are so good, and and uh, you, you kind of wonder where where all these guitars go, but they seem to go somewhere. Um, so you you did the acoustic guitars for what, another five or six years, was it, or or a bit longer than that? Probably a, a bit longer. Yeah, and then at some point you thought, right, I've got to get back to electric guitar making 
I presume. Well, electric guitars was the first thing that I did. Um, although I don't play guitar very much, I don't play in the band anymore. I've always kind of played a bit of both, but I think as a player, I've always been more of an electric guitar player than an acoustic guitar player. Yeah. So for me, it's a bit more, I'm more on terra firma with that. I kind of, I feel like I probably get it a bit more. Yeah. You know, in the same way that I don't build, build bass guitars. Because <laughs> although I have, I don't really, they're not just big guitars, are they? They're a different instrument it, completely. And, and, they, and, and I think that they need a different mindset and a different approach. And I was speaking to somebody about this earlier today and they were asking me about it. And I was saying, I don't build them because I don't really get it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we could build them, um, but I don't really want to because I don't really feel at home, at home there. No, and then often I think there's just not enough time to put into it. You know, I, I've had people ask me for McAfee guitars and things like that, and you, uh-huh. and, and and you, you've got to kind of also love the music that they produce. Or there's there has to be something in there for you, doesn't there? That that just sort of excites you a little bit, and yeah. uh, and I, I find I find that's pretty pretty important. I'd say. Um, so you you got the electrics running. How many years has, has that been now then? Oh, maybe five. I'm imagining, and from from the outside, for us all looking in, I would imagine that was just like a walk in the park in as much as people saw what you were doing and, and it looked like you'd returned home and they wanted a slice of it. Is, does that, did it feel like that at all? Not, not especially. Also, the other, the other myth here is our electric guitars must be much easier to build nah. than acoustic guitars, you know. I think it's just a different set of skills. Right. Just a yeah. different approach. They all have their own their own challenges, you know. Well, doing anything well is always going to be bloody difficult, isn't it? And uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you want to do it at the top of your game, it's, it's hard work. Um, so, so the... The electrics you're making now are sort of your own designs with influences from, you know, classic models in 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 some in some ways. But yeah. um, your, I sort of see your stuff come up and and you're really trying lots of different things out regularly, aren't you? I mean, there's, there always seems to be something new coming out. And, well, and one of my one of my goals for this year, Alistair, right, is to um, is to get a couple or three more staff in. Yeah. Um, partly because we need them. Uh, but also partly so I can free up my time more and I can concentrate on being creative and getting back to building guitars that don't have customers. Yeah. So I can just come into work with an idea and I can make that happen. Otherwise, before I realise it, I'll be 70 or 80 and I'll be going, oh, I had all these ideas and I was going to do this and I was going to do that and it never happened because I was too busy building orders. And with the best will in the world, people are only going to order what they've seen. Yeah. You know, you get the odd person that has an idea and no one knows whether it's going to work or not. But, and because people are only going to order what they've, what they've seen, if 
like if you're not careful you can stagnate in the whole sort of creative process can sort of stop so 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 you end up just slavishly building guitars you built before yeah which yeah. i'm not saying it's an actual bad thing if those instruments are good and if the actual model works as we all know some models are great and they work and they've been being built for 60 or 70 years yeah and don't actually mess with it but it does stifle the whole creative thing so um i think it'd be really nice to um have the time to build some instruments this year that don't have orders and i'm just building them for me i think i think that's what ultimately people who like what you do want to see that don't they we've started putting in a um I, I call them wild cards and in our production schedule i'll just write so so at the moment we're making six guitars a week and and mm -hmm. i might i might put two wild cards in a month and they can be whatever i want them to be and it means that we're just sort of doing something new all the time yeah uh, because you're exactly right a whole new series can come out of those sort of little ideas that you have or you build something and, and you're on another trajectory altogether very quickly if, if you hit on the right thing um, and I think that's probably why we got into it in the first place when you look back that's what you imagined a guitar maker probably did they just dreamed up things and got to do all sorts of cool shit all day <laughs> which yeah. is and it, and it always worked out yeah <laughs> yeah Exactly. So uh, we never got it wrong. No, no. What are the big failures then? <laughs> what What are the clangers that you? Uh, I thought that was going to work, but it was it was an absolute duffer. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of any now, but I'll get back to you on it. Yeah, I think we've done quite a few over the years. I've got some inlays that didn't work out like I thought they would, yeah. and um, I've got a in my stock room. I've got a few. <laughs> I've got a few things that um, I really need to put through the bandsaw, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, but they're better off. They'll be they'll be far better employed in my fireplace at home <laughs> than they than they will in the stockroom. I think it's sweet though. You sometimes sort of have an idea, and it can be you know sometimes you're late at night working on designs or thinking about stuff, and you. I end up ordering lots of stuff on the internet. Going, I'm going to make ten of these. <laughs> and all this... drunk? Yeah. <laughs> drunk, uh, drunk, wood, wood buying. Have you like had those days where where you're basically in the shop and everything's normal, and the doorbell rings and someone delivers this wood, <laughs> and you, you don't remember buying it? I've had one or two things like that happen to me, but not very often. <laughs> so, Pat. Um, I've noticed on your how do you get a Wikipedia page to start with? That that's pretty cool. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. You must um, be famous. I think it came up that Nicole, my wife, had seen me on Wikipedia and seen that I was misrepresented, and she said, "Have you seen yourself on uh, on um, Wikipedia? It says all this stuff that isn't true." <laughs> so. I just got a couple of the guys here that work here who uh, know about such dark magic to kind of um, put it right. Okay. Um, and I haven't been on it. I haven't been on it for 
six or seven years, I have to say. So I'm, I'm going to close. How about yours? Oh, we, I'm not in the dizzy heights of the Wikipedia world yet, Patrick. <laughs> but uh, hey, I'm n- that's now, wrong. I might hire somebody to do, to, to make me famous. That's out. all wrong. <laughs> now the other thing I'm interested in, uh, I noticed you had made a few guitars for some bloody famous people. Which uh, your experience of making guitars for the names, what's do you um, do you get much contact with them? I'd imagine if you're like us, you'd get some of them you meet, some of them you talk to on the phone, and some of them you never meet. Yeah, I think it's about that. I don't think I've had enough contact with them, to be honest with you. They have. There's one guy that I'm building a second guitar for at the moment who is a lovely bloke, but. He's obviously got a far more interesting life than I have. So so it's kind of, I can tell there's so much stuff going on, you know, yeah. that I'm at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Um, but they all vary, you know, they all vary. Some are, some are obviously fantastic at, at communicating and others, and others not so, you know. Yeah. Um, because I think if there was more cooperation that good things could come out of it. Um, but I also I also am aware that um, stuck in sleepy old Oswald Street, as I am, I'm a long way geographically from most places where these people hang out. <laughs> you want to move down to Kent? We've got them all down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I... I you you look at people's player lists sometimes and you think I, I remember back a lot a long time ago thinking, Oh, if I could get some famous people to to use these, it would change everything. And Well you've got loads. We have you've got Dolly Parton. Well, I have got Dolly Parton. Uh, but that's all, that's all you need. That's all we need. Uh, but but what's interesting as well is how little it means actually, I think. That that you imagine that famous people sell guitars to the to the rest of the world, you know, by association. But so much of the time, that doesn't make any difference to people. I think, and they haven't right. even well, see, seen here's those the thing. people. Now, now you must have heard this horrible word, influencer. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, I know from a little bit of the um, the whole marketing with faith, which I don't do. There are like professional marketing people right that do this so who's the best person to get um playing of faith is it like a famous acoustic guitar player or is it a youtube guitar teacher do you know what i mean yeah yeah like like you might say oh the ultimate indoor c might be i don't know neil young yeah right but realistically how often are people going to see him come out and play that guitar but when he's when it's when it's basically one of a hundred guitars that he's got in his guitar room a guy like um who's uh actually one of the faith guys like andy guitar right who's got a million subscribers on youtube <laughs> and he's on youtube every week off I it mean, goes you yeah. know those are the people that are learning guitar and wanting to buy guitars yeah right yeah um and also let's say for instance i got a guitar to keith richards mm-hmm. right would it would it matter anymore 
Or if I got a guitar to Eric Clapton, Eric, Eric is known for Blackie. Yeah. Keith Richards is known largely for his Telecasters. And that's kind of that. It, it wouldn't matter anymore because 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 they're already known for these iconic instruments. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to work with artists, and I think it's incredibly important for us to be working with the artists um, because that's the business and that's what it's all about, and we need to not lose touch of what people need and want. Um, but I certainly don't rely on any of that for my no. business. No, it's it's kind of the icing on the cake when something nice happens, isn't it? And then you sort of you do that bit. You think, oh, it's look good on the website. That was enjoyable. And then it's back to work on Monday, and you're just building the stuff that you build, and and it just carries on. Talking about the uh, the uh, Coventry days when I left Coventry. Yeah. At that time, we were doing the uh, Tony Iommi guitar. Oh, fantastic! And <laughs> on the day that I decided to leave, I was walking through the corridor, and Andrew said, "Patrick, you know that uh, that we've got Tony Iommi in the uh, in the actual boardroom. Would you like to sort of pop in and say hi?" I said, "No, you're all right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going. I'm going home. <laughs> Oh, Tony, and and you got Brian May. Yeah. Did I, did I see? Was he playing a one of those guitars? Or yeah, yeah. Wow. Never spoken to him either. No, I think he's... I think I think Brian is one of these people who's obviously a true gent. When you see him speak and interviewed and everything, you think, God, what a genuinely nice, thoughtful person. Yeah, and I'd love to meet him. You know. Yeah, that's a shame that I, that I didn't. But there you go. Ah, oh, did you see? Do you follow his Instagram? No. Ah, oh, it's worth it. It's uh, he he puts some really nice stuff up there, and uh, it just makes everything feel a bit better in your life. Watching Brian talk, <laughs> it's just gives you that calming. It's like it's literally like watching royalty, isn't it? And ah, uh, oh, he's addressed the country. Thank you, Brian. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's lovely. Okay, well, look, Patrick, I, I think this is probably a good place. We've been talking for, for a while, a good place to wind this up. For this episode, we could do it again sometime. Um, yeah. But, but thanks very much for um, coming on to this new podcast, which hopefully I'll have a name for soon. And uh, let's, let's do it again. And um, I look forward to meeting you at a guitar show in a bar over a beer sometime in in the near future maybe Mannheim in, in September in Germany yeah you know that is going to happen let's do it let's do it and uh, yeah well take it easy mate and uh, keep up the good work you too Alistair speak soon so that was my conversation with Patrick Eggle uh, I hope you enjoyed it if you'd like to hear more about his guitars go down to the notes below and you can click on his website and if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us i believe that all helps spread the word so we'll be back uh, weekly for the next couple of months please tune in again cheers <laughs> <laughs>